Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 134. How can that even be right? I'm in a great mood today, and I'll tell you why. It's because all of my projects are feeling really good. Like, every one. Like, I feel like I'm really in a flow state with, like, the band. The UVU semester is starting next week, but when you hear this, it will be last week. Um, and I'm just, I get to teach songwriting this semester. I don't know if I've, if I've like talked about this with you, um, but I'm, I get to teach songwriting at UVU and I have been wanting to teach songwriting in like a classroom setting, um, particularly at a university for like probably five years now, more easily more. Um, yeah, probably more like seven. Um, and it's finally happening and I'm so excited. I have my first, I have like my, my outlines for the whole semester done and it's just like perfect and beautiful and like exactly, you know, it's just perfect. It's in so many ways it's perfect. Um, but I have my two kind of like fleshed out, um, lectures, like and assignments ready for class one and class two. And I'm just like, I'm so excited. I just like, cannot wait. Um, and also Fit You In My Mind came out last Friday and it's my favorite uh, song on this new record and I just, my heart is full. I'm just feeling good. Also, I did, I did an interview this morning um, for the podcast, duh, and it's, it was like the, I think the seventh interview for season seven which just also just feels really good. Anyway, I just feel good and I'm excited and I just feel like everything is art and art is everything and it's the best. It's the best, best, best. And today's episode is one that I just loved. I loved recording it so much. I loved listening back to it this week as I was prepping to edit and kind of get ready to release the episode. Um, this episode is with a painter, and sculptor, um, Andrew Alba and just, I don't know what a beautiful soul. I just, I felt like he came into this room with such an open heart and, um, I don't know. I just really felt privileged to, you know, have this conversation with him and I'm excited for you all to hear it. And, you know, just if I haven't said it enough times, I'm just kind of excited in general today. Um, and feeling, you know, like hopeful and, um, I've been, I've been depressed for a lot of the last like month. Um, and so it's nice to kind of feel like just very clearly on the other end. Also, I'm going on vacation in two days to the ocean, which is something I think I deeply need. Um, and so I'm feeling I've done like, I've kind of been working myself to death in the last couple of weeks so that I can like not have to work very much at all on vacation. When you're a freelance person and you're a business owner, you kind of have to work all the time. No breaks can happen, but I think I'm only going to have to do the kind of work that I don't really mind doing next week. Anyway, boring, boring, boring. Okay, that's all my things. Let me tell you about Andrew. As a self-taught artist and descendant of Mexican migrant workers, Alba's large-scale paintings and drawings evoke an emotional response while still maintaining relevant com commentary on contemporary politics and society. Alba is the recipient of the 2020... Oh, Bear just came in and kind of scared me. Hi, buddy. Um, Alba is the recipient of the 2020 Utah Visual Arts Fellowship from the Utah... Okay, I... I I think I I need to start this sentence over. Um, okay. Alba 
is the recipient of the 2020 Utah Visual Arts Fellowship from the Utah Division of Arts and Museums and has exhibited work throughout the Pacific Northwest and Salt Lake City, where he currently resides with his family. Um, gosh, Andrew, I'm sorry it took me so long to get through that, but it's because Bear's down here and I'm just, been, I'm just thinking as I'm saying this, Bear almost never, ever, ever is here during the podcast intro recording. So what if we try to get Bear doing a little singing with us? Should we try it? Let's try it. It just takes a second. Give me a second. Here it goes. Okay. Isn't he a good singer? Those pipes. What a little hound dog. Oh, I love him. He has more to say. <laughs> yeah, he just had a few more words. Bear, tell the listeners hello. Hello. <laughs> he says hello. And I don't think there's a better note to leave you on. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the one and only Andrew Alba. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists, and I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. (laughs) Okay, well, let's get started. So... Where did you grow up? Are you? Did you grow up here in Utah? Uh, I was born in Salt Lake okay. in Sugar House. Um, I lived there for about ten years and then moved all over Utah. Okay, following, but kind of in Utah mostly. Yeah, in Utah. So I I like to talk with my guests about like their kind of creative development. So I'm always curious, like kind of what the context of the childhood was. Um, specifically with regards to like how you began your like early relationship with creativity. So normally the way I'll ask it is like, what is the evidence that you were like a creative child or like, what were you like as a creative child? Um, I always have been drawing. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. I don't have a memory of like my first drawing. I just remember that I have always been doing it. Sorry, just a second. You're good. Something's wrong. Um, check, check. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. No, you're good. Um, I think I need to run some updates. Right. I didn't have time yesterday. This week has been like so busy and I feel like I'm just like, you know how the freelance life is. I'm sure. I hear there's some crazy astrology stuff going on. Really? I don't know anything about it. I don't either. But my astrology (laughs) friend said it's a crazy week for astrology. I've been having like a good week, just really busy. Like almost one of those kind of like, like manic creative, uh-huh. like so many projects and like every day I'm like, this was fun. This was fun. But then like just really busy. So <laughs> yeah. I've been busy, emotional. It's been a, it's been a long week. But yeah. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I feel like as artists, like, you know, we, we cultivate like a heart on the sleeve kind of a thing that yeah. leaves us vulnerable to be like blown about 
Totally. Yeah. I've just been blowing in the wind this week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I hear you. But it's been a nice weather week, so. It has, but it's like. Warm it's, wind for the most part. Like a little freezing occasionally. Occasionally. It's kind of been a confusing week. Yeah, but. yesterday I went, um, I went to the nursery to buy a bunch of trees for the backyard. Like I make a trip to the nursery like once a year and I get so excited about it. I had like, I had a nightmare not last night, but the night before that, like I went to the nursery and it was like bulldozed and there was nothing there because <laughs> <No. laughs> I was so excited to go Right. anyway, but I went and it was like raining and we were just outside with all the trees, just like choosing trees. And again, it's like busy and kind of like weird, but also just like nice. I yeah. Know, I know. So I you it. were drawing from the time you were little. What was there anyone else drawing or was that kind of just like you just were? No, it was mostly just me. Do you remember um, anything about like what it felt like, like why you wanted to draw, like what kinds of things you were drawing, like how you kind of thought about it? I don't really remember why I was doing it at the time. I mean, I know like my grandparents' house was like covered in art like in a lot of like Diego Rivera prints wow cool so that's huge I feel like that was like probably my first exposure to seeing like a painter like that yeah so Um, your family culture like cares about art yeah uh um just visual art or like other things um I mean I have a brother that's a musician uh my sister like majored like in art history like art's like big in you, our family you're an art family but i mean i feel like other than my brother i'm like the only other artist in my family yeah well professional um, artist is like one thing but right. like just i mean i think part of the reason i'm interested in these kinds of questions is like there was nothing like that in my home growing up uh-huh. you know it was like well my parents were really into like um they would like to go see like broadway shows right but it was very like this is designed to entertain me and not like this is designed to like move me somehow mm-hmm. is my, the, my family culture is kind of like, we like art insofar as it's fun. Right. Yeah. But your family culture is like a little bit, you know, there's a little bit more going I, on. Yeah. I mean, it's something I've wondered about. I mean, you know, like my grandparents were immigrants. So I've often thought like, are they bringing Diego Rivera prints into the mm-hmm. house? Like to feel more at home Yeah. in like some foreign country that they've been in. Does it, I imagine it's just comforting to see people that look like them because they were they were migrant workers and a lot of the prints they had were like of the paintings were workers. Cool. You know, they had the flower women like pulling calla lilies and just a lot of like workers. And okay. like that was their whole life. It was wow. just basically working. So I imagine it brought them a lot of comfort to have those in the home. I hope this is like an okay question, but like is there was there like was there any like, I don't know if like romanticism is the right word, but like, like nostalgia, like pride, like positive emotions about like that culture of like being migrant workers? Um, I think for my grandparents, it was just survival. Okay. You know, I think like as the generations get on, like me and like my cousins, I think we definitely romanticize it. When in reality, like my grandma was basically pregnant for more than half of her life. She had like 12 kids. Holy cow. And she was traveling from Mexico up to Oregon, probably pregnant the whole time. And like there have been stories about like the conditions that they came across. I can imagine that being like 
traumatic. So I don't is... think they thought it was romantic, okay. you know, but I imagine because this is something I've thought about, like with the Diego Rivera prints. Is well, that's, that, that's what I was wondering, too. Because he's like the most famous painter in Mexico and he's painting my grandparents, basically. OK. So I imagine I when they saw that, like this world famous painter and his subject is yeah. them. Like, right. I think that had to mean a lot to them. Absolutely. To see, like, this famous painter focusing on what they are doing. Yeah. I wonder if that was, like, kind of healing or something or, like, yeah. a reprocessing of, like, some trauma. I'm not sure, yeah. That's like, really interesting. Maybe some sort of, like, validation for, like, all yeah. the sacrifices they made. Yeah, like, this sacrifice, like, represents, like, something ultimately, yeah. like, beautiful for like your family. Like, an acknowledgement or, of just, like... Yeah. This is your life, and now you're in a painting that's worth millions of dollars. Yeah, and the paintings are beautiful. And they're beautiful pieces. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, so when um, I'm, I'm also curious, like when you're little and you're drawing a ton, like how much were you drawing? Like every day, like most days? I don't have, know. Like... I was, I was really into trolls too. Okay, like the little figurines. <laughs> yeah, the little figurines. How old trolls. are you? Maybe. Six so to how eight. old are you now? Oh, right now, yeah. I'm 36. Okay, I'll I'm, be 36 this I'm year. turning 34 this month. Uh-huh. So I'm just, yeah, like the trolls were in my so childhood as well. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't I don't know exactly how much I was drawing. Um, well, I think what I'm wondering is like, do you, rem- well, do you remember like when you were pretty little, like before, you know, you're 10 or so? Were you already like taking your drawings seriously? Like, I wonder if I can do this. Like, can I get better at this? Or like, did that come later? No, at that time. I mean, I think I probably wanted to join the Marines. Okay. Or become a ninja. Okay. Um, and were there, were there any other like mediums? Like, did you do any music or even just like listening to music? Were you ever like writing anything? I feel like I used to make little sculptures. I don't I don't think I realized they were sculptures at the time, but I used to put a lot of things together, like a lot of sticks. I would pile sticks in a certain way yeah. and kind of make my own games out of them. Cool. But looking back at it now, I'm like, I wish I remember what those looked like. Yeah. Because that would probably be a really great piece. Like a study, yeah. To study, you know, and to work on. But, I mean, I do think, like, I had, I had a spirit, serious uh, speech impediment growing up. Okay. Like, I went to a lot of speech therapy, I think, maybe when I was seven, six or seven, maybe earlier, people started to finally understand what I was saying. Okay, okay. Like, at, for years, it kind was just my sister yeah. that could understand me. She's older? She's older, yeah. Okay. She's my older sister. Her name was Michelle, but I called her Rob Okay. for some reason. <laughs> um, and so I, I, a lot, I often think back on, like, that de- development yeah. And like, I couldn't communicate. Right. Like I couldn't get my words out. I couldn't tell people what I want, what, how I'm feeling. Mm. And so I feel like that maybe had a lot, lot to do with like my need to communicate. Right. And how that may have affected me being drawn to art. Yeah. You know. Did you ever get any pushback as a child on like, why are you spending your time doing this? Or was your family like supportive? No, my mom, she's overly supportive. Cool. She says cool. Like, my worst pieces are great pieces. I love that. So. Do you have thoughts about that? Like, do you think that's always a good thing? I think it's so good. No, I mean, I think it's really, I think it's really sweet for my mom. Yeah. You know, like my partner, like she, 
she tells me when a piece isn't working yeah. and I appreciate yeah. that feedback. I mean, I think, I think for it's a good. child, like you just need so much support, for like child, especially yeah. for a child. Definitely. Yeah. Um, my parents were not supportive and I, sometimes I talk to my mother-in-law about this. She's, um, she's an artist too. She's a pianist and I'll tell her sometimes like, you know, I just like, I wish I would have been like your kid because she's really supportive of her kids. And she's always like, well, I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes it gives people like a skewed, but I kind of think like you need that skewed perspective as a right. kid, yeah. <laughs> like just to have that like boldness. Yeah. Um, cause if you spend, you know, you're like an, like a decade or more in your childhood and teens, like being scared, you're like behind Definitely. by the time you're in your twenties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you know, Say lovey. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I definitely had a lot of support, like, from my parents. Okay, final question about the childhood. Um, it seems like your work, and I mean, I think all artists to some extent, um, you know, we're, we're thinking a lot about perspective, like, uh, and I'm wondering if there was communication in your childhood, like family discussions, you know, encouraging thinking about different ideas thinking from different perspectives or was that something that you kind of cultivated a um an interest in yourself mm, i mean like for to put it into perspective like my dad's from mexico okay my mom is like a white woman from here okay and so i think just inevitably like in like growing up with that you know i'd go to this grandma's house have this type of experience right. you know like my mom's mom like every time i smell coffee and cigarettes i think about her okay like she was a wonderful woman then i go to my dad's parents house and the place smells like beans and tortillas yeah and so i think i there was already just naturally two different perspectives some, going some on some questions like yeah. lingering in the air mm -hmm. yeah so I think that happened naturally. It wasn't something that my parents, you know, when I, when I, like when, when I was living in Salt Lake, my parents were just trying to survive. Yeah. You know, like they worked at, for, at my grandparents' restaurant and got paid in tortillas and beans sometimes, which cool. was hard because that didn't pay mortgage, you know. Right. But, yeah. Wow. So I think a lot of it was just kind of surviving. Well, your grandparents had a restaurant. That's something. Like yeah. that's very creative. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am a firm believer that like food is art. Um, do you feel like that like affected you as a child in, in, in regards to like creativity or affected you as a person, I guess? Um, yeah. My grandma, she made the best tortillas. Like I've never had a tortilla like hers Yeah. and I don't think I ever will. Like the recipe is still in the family, so we still have them, but she just had a touch. She had a touch and like they were constantly, I'd show up to my grandparents' house and my grandpa was rolling the dough and then my grandma was at the stove flipping the tortillas. Yeah. And they, they had like 12 kids and all those kids had like six or seven kids. So mm. they were constantly cooking for everybody. Right. Like we'd go to my grandparents' house and they'd send us home with three, like three dozen tortillas. Wow. So I interviewed a, a Mexican chef in Dallas a couple of years ago. He was, he's such an amazing guy. And he told me this anecdote about like tortillas that like when they puff up with air, it's like God, like blowing into your tortilla. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I always like watching, like being with my grandma cooking those, like I always wanted to pop them. Yeah. And she would smack my hand. Yeah, like, you like you're not allowed, those, you're yeah. not allowed to pop the bubbles. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think I did learn a lot from watching them. I mean, like, they had like a work ethic of taking care of their family, which was really a really beautiful thing to see. 
Yeah. To see how much they cook just to just to feed all their grandbabies. Yeah. That was really something. That's amazing. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know, like, I think I can get a little like rose colored about these things. I think partly because like my child was, my childhood was just like bad in like those kinds of ways. Like, I don't know, like my family always had, my parents are wealthy. So like, I'd never had those kinds of struggles. Um, but you know, just kind of toxic family culture. Um, and so I think I can sometimes like have a tendency to romanticize like families who are like being family together, like getting through struggles together. Like, you know, I feel like that's also kind of like resilience building, but I mean, it's not my experience, so I don't really know, but I, I like stories of like, you know, families like solving problems together yeah and and like i i had a great childhood i mean like i think those stories that sometimes get romanticized happen with my dad and his family okay yeah like my childhood was great like yeah my parents weren't the wealthiest when i was a kid but like enough yeah i mean like yeah if there were struggles i didn't know about it sure. until later so. so let's talk about your teens now i want to just I'm, i just kind of want to get like some context for like your creative development um what happened in your teens in terms of like did you did you pick up any new mediums or any new kind of like ethos about your your drawing um or or yeah what was kind of going on with your creativity i couldn't skateboard and so (laughs) drawing all the time i couldn't skateboard (laughs) it was in junior high um like i was still drawing throughout all these years but junior high, you know, I think the worst three years for most people. At that time, skateboarders were like the jocks. Yeah. You know, like they were the cool guys. And and all the girls wanted to hang out with them. So. When you, you wanted that? I wanted that. Yeah. yeah. I was like, like, I have like fake teeth. I didn't have teeth in junior high. So, and, and, you know, like. That would be really pimples. hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but. I had a yeah. hard time so with like, that kind of stuff in junior high as well. <laughs> I think like everybody, I wanted to be cool. I couldn't ever land a kickflip. So I thought I'd pick up the guitar and like learn the guitar. So I, I, I learned to play the guitar. Um, How old were you? Maybe 13, 14. And were you thinking about it that way? Like, well, I got to have a, I got to have a cool thing. I got to have a cool thing was cool. why I started to play the guitar. I feel like that's like creative too. <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah. It was never, it was never like a, I'm an artist. I need to get my ideas out. It was like, no, I want to kiss a girl. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to learn a song on the guitar. <laughs> I think a lot about this, like meta creativity. Like I love talking about like the kind of blurry line between like art like art, the product and like just kind of artful, like thinking. Mm -hmm. But I feel like, you know, when we, when we're kind of like applying, you know, creative skills to like just our lives, I always find that to be like really interesting. Like it's problem solving. Like what can I do? I can't skateboard, but like I have access to a guitar. Yeah. I mean, and, and it was, you know, it went beyond, just wanting to get a kiss. I mean, once I learned the guitar, like that was definitely when I realized like creativity is big for me. Yeah. Tell me everything. Like I started to learn all these songs. I got into music that I'd never heard before. I got into like Rage Against the Machine because at that time, Tom Morello was the best guitarist. Like he was on all the guitar magazines. And so naturally I went towards that because I'm like, I want to play like this guy. And then I listened to their lyrics. I was going to say, did the, 
did the like poetry like yeah do i mean you. like zach de la roche's lyrics were just like okay like this is this is hitting me in a way that yeah. nothing has ever hit me before did like you feel this like frustration and anger was yeah. like really important to hear and i was a teenager so there was a lot right. of frustration angst. and angst going on yeah. anyway <laughs> I do find that like there is certain kind of like there's a certain kind of personality that like is drawn to those kinds of things. And like when you hear it, you don't need someone to like explain to you why like there's rage against the machine. You're just like, I fucking get this. Like, I know this feeling. Do you like do you have thoughts about that? Like, do you think that's like an art thing? I'm not sure. I feel like that's one of those perspective things, too. Of like. Like, I definitely felt it. I didn't realize or understand more than half the references that they were singing about. You know, like the CIA killing Malcolm X, like they sing about. And I'm like, who's Malcolm X? What's the CIA? Yeah. Like, I don't know what that is, but like, I'm feeling that there's some big injustice going on. And I think growing up, you know, I grew up Christian and I think Jesus had a lot to do with like injustice. Mm -hmm. And like, that was like pounded in my brain. Really, really relate to that. Yeah. You know, and so like, I think that was like, these people are getting tra- treated poorly yeah. by these people. And so I think that was always in my head. And like, you know, like, like when I first learned about Jesus, I think I realized at a very young age, like this guy is radical. Totally. He's got a, he's got a beard. Yeah. And he's radical. Yeah. He got killed by the state. Yeah. Like, yeah. like what did he have to say? I think I always thought that as a child too. Like I grew up Mormon, but I, I think I always felt that way too. And I always, I always felt, I know this is like, sounds very silly now, like now that I'm older and I know things, but I always felt like Mormonism was radical, you know, like Mm -hmm. I always just felt like, like, this is the real shit. Like this is where we're talking about stuff, you know? And then as I got older and realized things, I realized that wasn't the case and left. Right. (laughs) Like Jesus is still radical. He's a radical. He's a radical dude. Yeah. That's right. Like I I like Jesus. I get down with like the real idea of Jesus. Me too. You know? Like I tell this to my sister, my sister just got home from like an LDS mission last week and she'll like, she'll like talk theology with me sometimes, like maybe a little bit like tentatively, mm-hmm. but like, you know, I always tell her like, I'm still into Jesus. Like I yeah. think I'm as into Jesus as you are. <laughs> like It's, it's hard to <clears throat> separate like what Christianity has done to the world. Yeah. And like this radical carpenter figure. Yeah. You know, I mean, because Christianity has, in my opinion, just about destroyed the world. Yeah. All in the name of Jesus. Right. And I'm like, that is so backwards of what this guy represented. Yeah. Yeah. And like, he's probably really angry about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I always felt intuitive about that kind of stuff as a child. Or, And I think this is what I'm saying. Like, I don't know. I mean, I think I started this podcast at least partly to like try to work out like what's what, like which are the art things and which are just like these other things and I you know I've done like close to 150 interviews now um just with cool people you mm-hmm. know and I feel like I I'm I'm more confused than ever about these right. things yeah, yeah. um sense. I know it's like wonderful but yeah I always think like you know it's so true. Like the way that the way that like these Bible stories, you know, Jesus would come in and like just flip the script mm-hmm. and just be like, no man, like look at it this other way. Like it was always like that. Like mm-hmm. love those stories, like these perspective shifts. And I feel like that is like so much of what we try to do as artists. Like, yeah. 
Like, just yeah. reframe. Mm-hmm. So I, I love hearing that that was like, like rage against the machine and Jesus. <laughs> rage and Jesus. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think Jesus would have been into rage probably. I mean, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. He might've been like, you know, peace against the machine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, he flipped the tables over at the temple. That's true. Jesus could rage. Yeah, he really could. When it when it was appropriate, he could rage. So. You're right. You're you're right. You're totally right. Um, okay. So, any other music like becoming part of your life, or or like how maybe okay maybe what I want to know is like, did you ever play music like in a more organized way, like in a band, in class? Did you take lessons? Yeah, I mean, I think in uh, in high school is when I got serious about drawing and painting but it was also when I met people that I felt like were like me you know yeah. I mean because like we were definitely the outcasts in high school we like the kids who played guitar and yeah me and my friends and, you know, to and it, it got to the point where we enjoyed <laughs> pissing people off by the music we played okay you know we it started off like in a ska band which was, I, I've been in all sorts of bands, but, you know, it ended up like our, our high school band was the Bouncing Babies. And we would make flyers, person, post them all over the high school and just say, like, we sound like your favorite band. And a large point of what we were doing was, let's see how many people we can get to the show and let's see how many people we can get to leave the room. Yeah. Because it was loud, it's like performance annoying art, music. Like it felt social like, experimentation. It felt like performance art. Cool. Yeah. Um, what did that feel like to be like flirting with that kind of an edge as a teenager? Yeah, it felt really badass. I was gonna say that <laughs> like, must have felt incredible. Like, like, like you reject us. Exactly. Like we you can't are make going this to rule. make your ears bleed. Yeah. And like the people that stayed in the room, they became friends. Yeah. You know, cool. Because I would go to those shows for those like from other like seeing other like musicians do that. Like that mm-hmm. that was the interesting thing to see. You know, I think I had a really impactful teacher in high school that showed us like a lot of like avant-garde stuff, which cool. really like shook my head. You know, he told me he he showed us these experimental musicians from the forties. Yeah, it's just like they were experimenting in the forties. Who like, like who are you thinking of? I don't, I don't remember any of their names. Like honestly. jazz people? Uh, we got into a little bit of jazz, but like it was these artists that like were just making musicians. noise. Okay. Like it was just straight up noise. And I'm like, this was like so far ahead of their time. Cool. Like people were definitely leaving the room. I love and that like kind of I stuff. I would have stayed in that room. <laughs> you know? I what is that? Like can you can you describe like why the avant garde like is interesting to you? It's the most radical. Yeah. I mean, God, they, I really relate to that. They they push it the furthest. And I'm sure these people were never heard of in their lifetime, probably. You yeah. know, I mean like most of like my favorite musicians, I feel like were uh ahead uh ahead of their time. You know, like musicians right now that I'm listening to, I feel like they're ahead of their time. Yeah. If it doesn't feel new and interesting to me, then Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way. I I have a master's degree in jazz studies. So like, I I remember like hearing jazz for the first time when I was like 16 and just being like, what is this? Because it's just so much more than like the music itself. It's like this ethos, like this Mm -hmm. kind of like, I don't know. I also feel, let me ask you this. 
when you are um like presented with the avant-garde like in any medium do you feel like you immediately like it or do you feel like you feel like you want to learn to like understand it does it challenge you in the first place um it depends uh if i believe it sure because i think there are a lot of people yeah like like, there's a lot of people like in the avant-garde that that i just don't believe sure um how do you feel like you cultivated... Okay, I'm derailing you from that question. You're good. How do you feel like you cultivated like your own sense of like taste or like trust about that kind of stuff? I think depression. Yeah. I think... <laughs> You're like saying all the things I that I feel too. Like when you... Like when somebody gets so low and you're so bare bones that any type of bullshit is just not acceptable. Yeah. You know, I've been oh, there. Man. I've been there a few times in my life and it's just like I'm not going to deal with any of this nonsense. Like I am literally down to my bones. Yeah. Like I don't have all the, the lies, all the bullshit, like I can feel that feel it like extremely like mm-hmm. all I want is like honesty and just yeah. like realness. So yeah. I think I don't think you have to go there to recognize those things. Sure. But I think for me, that's how I recognized a lot of it. It makes it like impossible not to recognize those things. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. God, I really, I really relate to that. Yeah. Are and you, and I think in those situ, like in those moments, um, that's like when the most beautiful things happen as well. Yeah. You know, it's messy. It's yeah. messy. I love that too. Like yeah. let's like, let's be in this mess and like figure it out mm-hmm. and not kind of, you know, pretend that we're not in a mess. Yeah. yeah. I mean like your heart is just like <clears throat> wide open. Yeah. And so like all the nonsense affects it in one way, but like all the beautiful things and like when your heart is that open, all those beautiful things is just right. the most beautiful moments to me have happened. Like, in those darkest times. Yeah. I was just talking about this with one of my students who teaches dance. Like she has a master's degree in dance and she's just taking some singing lessons. Cause she just, she wants to learn that new skill. And we were talking about this and how like, you know, keeping your heart like open to those kinds of like beautiful, messy things, like is kind of automatically like a two way, like mm-hmm. if you're gonna commit to keeping yourself open to that beauty, it kind of also means you're open to like some of that like dark stuff too. And it's just like, okay, if that's what it takes yeah. <laughs> to like get that beautiful stuff, like yeah. fine. I was actually just thinking about this this morning. Do you, with regards to like this kind of like realness, like this kind of like bare bones, do you think, do you think everybody is like capable of that? And some people just like are too scared to, or do you think some people just like can't even do that? I think everyone's capable of it. Yeah, I think I tend to think that too. Um, I think it's hard to acknowledge. And I under like I don't want to acknowledge it every moment of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've learned the benefits of acknowledging it. And sometimes, you know, it takes work to acknowledge both sides of it, but for my mental health it's important to knowledge to to acknowledge yeah. everything. Were you like um, maybe not aware of, but like, was some of that like happening in your teens or was it kind of something that like started to kind yeah, of I mean, manifest I think itself later? I was aware of it. Um, I think like my first memory, like with a full blown panic attack, I was 11, yeah. you know, 
I watched The Stand by Stephen King and it ruined me for years thinking about nuclear war, (laughs) you know, and that was when I would like, that's my first memory of like panic. Yeah. Like laying in my bed, staring at a poster of Jeff Hornacek for some reason. Um, and just like my heart beating. And I mean, like throughout all those years, like all that, all those panic attacks, like I, I wrote countless letters to my family, like laying in bed and being like, Oh my gosh, like this is it. I'm dying tonight. Like, you I love you all. Like, you I, yeah, out. like yeah. I used to write letters in bed oh all the time. God. Like, I love you... you all. Like, like I'm sorry. Like, I want to live. Goodbye. And then I'd wake up the next morning and turn, turns out cancer yeah. doesn't kill you immediately. <laughs> <laughs> you know, overnight. I, but. Andrew, I did, I, I never wrote letters because my family didn't give a shit, but I also thought I was dying in the middle of the night all the time. And, <laughs> yeah. and I still do that. It's funny. Yeah. I'll just like feel like a weird thing. And then I'm just like, actually, I've told this story before, but so I, I sing in a wedding band. I like pay the bills with teaching and I sing in a wedding band and then I make like heady art that most people don't Mm -hmm. care about. It's fine though. But I was driving to a a wedding gig. This was several years ago now. And I had like, you know, like all the gear I run the PA. So I have like all the gear in the back of the forerunner and uh, I'm driving to the, um, not the Stein Erickson, the St. Regis, just like this really fancy hotel in Park mm-hmm. City. And like, I just had this like weird cramp in my side. It didn't even like, didn't even like really hurt, but I was just like, I have appendicitis and yeah. like, I'm this wedding's going to get ruined. I'm not gonna be able to go. They're going to get so mad at me. They're going to want a refund. I'm just like it's, panicking. It's going to be out. gross when it bursts all over the bride. All I'm going to probably juice. throw up. Yeah. I'm going to like be in the middle of singing. It's going to be horrifying. I like started blacking out just like on the freeway and then just like pulled over fully fainted. Cause do, oh, do you, do, do you, do you pass out when you have panic attacks? Uh, I've never passed out. <laughs> I, I faint. Like, I feel like I it. faint so much, but I think I kind of have like low blood sugar also. Yeah. And then I have really bad anxiety, but I just like fully, like I put the car in park, just fainted on the side of the freeway, woke up all like sweaty mm-hmm. and then just like, Went to the gig. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't have a fence. Wonderful. <laughs> so I, like, I definitely like I relate to that so, too. Like, like your fainting is like a, it's just like like a reset for you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just was like, well. <laughs> I've had a fear that I that I would faint because I get that feeling, but I've never actually fainted. Yeah, it happens to me like at least a couple times a year. Yeah, just, that's wonderful. Just pass out. <laughs> <laughs> Take a nap. <laughs> Well, nowadays I like really know, I know how to tell that it's happening. So I'll sit down, you know, I never like will fall over. Like, I'll just be like, I'll just be like, don't talk to me. I'm fine. It's terrifying as a kid when you don't like recognize those feelings. Yeah. You're definitely dying. Adults. It's just like, okay, here we go again. Yeah. This is this. And this is what's happening. Yeah. Like I still have to get something done. Yeah. I'll sit down for a minute maybe, but yeah. Wow. Okay. so when you're dealing with this anxiety, depression, how did your family like receive that? Like, was that something that people in your family were like, we know what this is, we know what to do with it? Or like, I'm wondering if you felt like different. No, all, my whole family is a mess. Okay. So I fit yeah. right in. Yeah. <laughs> Mine is too, but in deep denial about it. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm just like not in contact with my family really anymore. It's interesting. Cause I, I mean, I think about like, we had a good childhood. 
like both of my parents like had rough childhoods you know i mean like being in part of like an immigrant family my mom had her own struggles as a child and it it gets me thinking about a lot about like generational like, oh, yeah, trauma. Like epi- I'm like, why do I feel this way? Like like I have some trauma, but like not the amount that my parents have. That stuff is fucking real. Yeah, and and so so I I kind of think about that a lot. Like like yeah. like this has like really been passed down. I yeah. feel like it's in your it's in your DNA. Yeah, that's heavy. You know, I mean, like I constantly have like that lion right behind me that's about to bite my head off. Yeah. But I know there's not a lion there. Right. But my heart is still just like, you got to get the hell out of here right now. There's going to be blood everywhere. Yeah. This lion's going to bite your face off. Your kids aren't going to have a parent. And I'm like, there's no damn lion. Yeah. Really what's happening is like (laughs) you're lying in your totally safe bed. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Just thinking about nuclear war. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. You're playing in the ska band, um, doing performance art. What was happening with your visual art in your teens? Uh, I had a great high school teacher. Um, I, who was teaching me how to oil paint. Wow. And that was when I met like my visual art friends. They weren't really my musician friends. Yeah. But I loved doing it. And, and, and like, like playing the guitar, I wanted to get better than my brother at sure. drawing. Yeah. You know, my older brother, cause he's got this smug attitude. Yeah. And that's just that competition. So your motivation was like twofold, like at least with the music part of the motivation is like this kind of performance art thing of like, you know, how can we flip the script of like our kind of role in the like social hierarchy and was visual art like were there pieces of that or was the visual art like I want to get better at this? Like what was your motivation to get better at it I, I mean, other than your brother? I wanted to be a musician like that was, that was up until thing. I was 24. I'm, okay. like, I'm a musician. And like, as far as drawing and painting went, it felt really good for anxiety. Like I would draw for hours because it was an escape. You know, I never, like from 18 to 24, I didn't really think I would be pursuing a life in visual art. Okay. Because I was going to be a rock star. Right. Um, Were you trying to challenge yourself though in visual art? Or was it kind of, okay. I mean like at a technical level. Why? Like what was the motivation for it? It felt good. It it was fulfilling. Yeah. You know, like it was in high school that uh, like with these, with this group of friends, we were all in the same art class learning to draw and paint. Um, One of my friends said, he's like, hey, do you know, because we were all trying to get better. You know, like we all worshiped like Egon Schiele, like in, in high school. And like he's got, he's he's a far out artist, you know. He was another artist that was like imprisoned for his art. Um, wow. But like we worshipped him as like a figurative artist, and like that's what we were going for was like figurative art. And like, these weren't the music friends. These weren't the music. How friends. did you find like two alternative groups? I think there's crazy. <laughs> so this in. was in Davis County. <clears throat> wow. Um, I think like there's just the Mormon trauma up there. subculture like yeah. creates this amazing counterculture. Davis County has, has like a lot of like polygamy trauma too. Like Mm. there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, um, like a really scary, like underground stuff happening there. I don't know that much about it, but I'm sure there's like, there's just trauma, like living like under, right under this, like really beautiful surface. Like it's really pristine. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, wow, that's interesting. You know, I grew up in Mesa, Arizona, which is also super Mormon, and I I don't know that I experienced any of those same things. Really? It may have just been that like my family, like I think about this a lot. My family was traumatic for me, and I think I maybe just like I couldn't handle like too I couldn't handle it too tense places. So I think it was like tense at home. And then at school, I was just trying to like fly under the radar. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think I was like looking for like radicalism at school. I just was like trying to like survive. Yeah. So I don't know if it like wasn't there or if I just wasn't finding it or, you know, was just dealing with like identity things. Um, did you and your friends, like, in either group, like, were you talking about stuff? Were you talking about, like, issues? Were you, like, philosophizing? We were, I mean, like, in my music group friends, basically yelling at people for using, like, homophobic slurs. Yeah. We didn't, I don't, like, other than that, I don't feel like, I mean, probably. We talked about, like, the religious culture in Davis County a lot. Sure. You know, and I had friends on both sides that were in it or leaving it. Yeah. Um, so that was a common conversation sure. that we had a lot. Then with your visual art, when you had teachers that were introducing you to new mediums, to oil paint, to like, you know, whatever other new mediums, were you ever like, like kind of bad at a new medium or did you always kind of take to those things like pretty well? I, I was stubborn. I've always felt pretty confident about that. I could learn new things. Yeah. I think once I like picked up the guitar and realized I could like learn a Jimi Hendrix song. Like I got, I I got a certain amount of like confidence. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, like if I can do that, then I can do this thing that's too. That's huge. Yeah. Like that's a that's such a good lesson to learn when you're young. Like, yeah, I'm shitty at this now, but like, I'm gonna learn how to do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so I I never <clears throat> felt too intimidated. Cool. By it. Um, I think I'm wondering more if like you want to say anything like to the listener about like, you know, that kind of resilience, like, like trying something new and kind of like figuring it out. It's okay if you don't, but I feel like if there's like a thing in there, I don't, I don't have any like wise about words about it, but <laughs> I mean, like wise words. I think, um, it, everything just takes time. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember getting like very frustrated not learning like a song or not being able to like capture proportions like I wanted to. Yeah. I mean, cause it's always like, okay, well fix it. Like if it's right. not right, then just fix it. Like right. what, where's the frustration? I Like I would get frustrated, more. you yeah. know, but it was still just like, like, it's not that I can't do this. Right. It's just like, I needed to try I again. I just need to do it. Develop the skill. <laughs> like, yeah. Just I always, do it. I always feel like that too. Like I was thinking about this recently, like, you know, a lot of songwriters will write, like way more songs than they ever like release. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's a method that a lot of people use. Like they just write a bunch and they're like, that's shitty. That's shitty. This one's good. And I, I like, I've like maybe only twice ever written something that I wouldn't want to record and put on an album. But I think it's only because like, I'll just take like a piece that starts, you know, one way and I'll just keep like it goes through like four songs before it like becomes the oh, song it yeah. is. So it's like, you know, maybe like there were like several really bad songs, but I don't realize it. Cause like, I just am looking at the same piece of paper or like, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. Cause I think I feel that way too. It's like, well, this, it's a draft until it's not 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. and that's just your process, you yeah. know. Like some songwriters, like Dylan, writes a song in twenty minutes, and then some other, then yeah. some other artist picks it up and makes money off of it, and Dylan forgets he writes that song. Right. You know, right. like that's his process. Yeah. And I don't know, like what other songwriters' processes would be like, but I mean, like everyone's process is different, so. Yeah. Yeah. I well and I think even like I think songwriters who write a ton of songs are doing the same thing I'm doing. Like it's just, you know. Right. But the yeah. point is like you just don't stop. Mm-hmm. You just aren't stopping. Yeah, you just you, you don't yeah. stop. Yeah. Move it all around. Put it wherever you like it I just to be. Need to look at you. Yeah, you can move the chair. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting a crick in my Yeah, sorry. Crick or I know a I creak? should I think it's a crick. crick. It's a crick. I'm getting yeah. a crick in my neck. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I always like it when people move the chair, like I don't move it, but I feel like several of the guests will be like, all right, let me yeah, move the okay. chair. Like I, don't, I don't like looking at you <laughs> talking to you like this. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks. Um, okay. Wait, I had another question. Oh, what about with guitar? Like, did you have a teacher? Did you, were you, did you have like someone being like, Hey, you need to learn this. I had a I had a teacher when I was fourteen for a couple of years. Um, he was he was a metalhead. His cool. name was Mark. He was a really nice guy. Cool. I took lessons in the back of a music shop. Um, That's how it happens. Yeah. Okay, so when you're getting toward like you know you're finishing high school or like you're around that age. Um, and you're thinking like, I'm going to be a rock star. Like what happened? Like, was there pushback where people like you need to maybe just give up on this? Like h- how did you kind of handle that? Like kind of natural transition, like from teens to kind of early adulthood? No, there wasn't, there wasn't any pushback for me. What I was mean, your, luckily. like, what was your plan? What was your thought? Like just where was become your mind a rock at? star. Cool. <laughs> It seemed easy enough. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> you know? So what happened? Like, can you just kind of talk me through yeah, like, I mean, your twenties? Like my twenties, like I got more serious about like drawing. I mean, like in that side of it, you know, like this was in high school. Like one of my friends was, he's like, Hey, do you know that there's naked models up at the university every, every Saturday we should go draw them because we want to get better at drawing. But my, also and my also, friend was like, and yeah. also they're naked, bro. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, let's try that. And so, like, every Saturday, like, after high school, that same group of friends, we would go there and draw for, like, five wow. hours. I love that you had friends that were, like, invested in this stuff with you. Yeah, they they're, they're were beautiful people. and That's amazing. Like, we had lots of good talks about art. We would always get lunch afterwards, coffee before. And Do you remember any of the subjects? Like, what kinds of things you were talking about? <sighs> about art? Probably just, like, Egon Scheele and talk about other artists like in the sessions you know because they weren't classes it was just pay 10 bucks for four hours and go draw go draw go paint but why, yeah, why did you like Egon Shield? like what like what were you he just, what were you moved he, he, by he broke up the figure mm. like his line quality I think at that time you know I was I was really interested in capturing the form like in a representational way but also like with like my anti everything from the music side like i still i wanted to break it up too yeah and egon's egon's work like he would the way that he drew hands it was just like this guy knows how to draw hands and he's distorting them in ways but they still relate wow as hands it's not like a cheap distortion why did why did you like it like what like what did it do i liked that because it it was very skillful Mm. 
and like at that young age, like I wanted to be skillful, like at a technical level. Yeah. Um, probably because I wanted to prove something, you know? Yeah. So I think that was why I was really attracted to him, like Gustav Klimt. Um, I was attracted to those type of artists that were proving something to me, like by their sure. technical skill. I'm using parentheses, technical skill. Right. When really, like later, I just realized that's just study. Like, like anybody can draw a hand like that. Like, that's not very unique. I still love all their work yeah. and, like, recognize the importance of it. But I feel like anybody can draw if they spend as much time right. as me or as Egon Shield. So what's the other thing? Like, you know, you draw the hand, like, but that's not really, like, what's what's on the other side? The distortion. I mean, like, what do you mean? Like, like of why I was attracted to him? Like, everybody can draw a hand, so that's not, like, maybe that special. Oh, like, we respect yeah. it, but, like... What's the other thing? That's the magic. Yeah, tell me about it. That's that's, yeah. that's 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 the one thing that only one person can do. Right. And I do believe anybody can do that. That anybody can do their one thing. Anybody can do their one thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's tell me like all your thoughts about it. Like, what are your philosophies about like the, why why does it matter? Like, what is it like? Are you like obsessed with individuality? Like, do you do you care about? I mean, I am obsessed with individuality. I, think, I don't know if I'm obsessed, but <laughs> yeah, I picked that word because I am. Yeah, that's I don't a write it down constantly. Yeah, but like, I'm wondering if like, because I feel like those things are so precious too. Like, when someone makes something that I'm just like, I have no fucking idea how you even thought of that. Yeah, I find that that is magic. Yeah. But like, is that is the magic the individuality or is it something else? I think. I think it's two things. I think it's poetics, which I think is just straight magic. Um, but like the individuality part of it, like this is something that I came, like that I started to think about in my early 20s is that <clears throat> like when I was stepping away from like the technical side, like I'm actually not interested in like, because, you know, I, I would go to those sessions and I'd be like, okay, I drew the figure perfect. Yeah. Like this is boring. Yeah. So, like, how am I going to draw the figure? And I got to thinking, you know, from, I think I watched, like, a Terrence McKenna video talking about how, like, how do you look at the waterfall? Right. Like, I think the name of the video is You Are the Smartest Person in the World. I haven't watched it in, like, 15 years. But, like, this was, like, pretty groundbreaking for me. Because yeah. it's like, you are the smartest person in the world. You are the funniest person in the world. You're the most creative person in the world. Because it's nobody else's world. Right. You know, so like I am the smartest person in the world because only I know I have the experience that I have. I know how I responded in those experiences. Like I have the history in this world that nobody else has. Right. Somebody sees it from the outside. Right. But they don't have the feelings. They don't have everything else connected to it. You know, so I started thinking like how like how do I look at the waterfall? Right. And how does it compare to how you look at the waterfall? Like, how different does it look to both of us? We're looking at the exact same thing. But, like, how are you going to put that in a song? Yeah. How am I going to put that on a canvas? Like, why do you think it matters? Like, why did I paint it black? Right. Why did you paint it smelling? Why did you be, Why did you sing about it smelling like lavender, yeah. you know? <laughs> right. Because lavender's great. I but would, though. That is what I know, I do. you know? So <laughs> it's that, I think that is part of the magic is like really 
diving into like the most individual part of yourself. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think it is like, sometimes I do think it's about the individuality. Like it, it lets you see something about another person that's like unseeable. Mm -hmm. It's like, just like a little window. It's like so intimate. And then, you know, if you get, I think if you get practice, like getting little glimpses of like, oh, this is how Andrew sees it. Or like, this is how Emily sees it. Or like, you know, whatever, like you start to kind of like be able to extrapolate like little bits and you just understand people better. Yeah. And that to me feels like if that's not the point, like what's the point? Yeah. I mean, I, I see it as everybody's own language. Yeah. You know, like this is my language that I'm speaking. You don't necessarily understand it, but like you can see it. And I'm trying to be as clear as possible. Right. Because I don't feel that gifted with words. Like the most, the way that I can best communicate my ideas is through visual art, primarily painting. And like, this is my language. Like if you look at like enough of my work, like that language is going to make more sense in context. Yeah. You know, where it was 10 years ago, where it is today. Um, yeah, like you don't necessarily understand it, but you can, it's almost like, like somebody not fluently speaking the language, but they're kind of getting like. Yeah, the like the inflection. And there's like, also a lot of like hand motions, right. you know, so like people can understand these things. But it's right. also like the magic of actually feeling it. Like, like part of that magic that I'm talking about is, you know, paintings only work with two people. Right. You know, at least two people. It doesn't just work with one, with, right. with just the artist. Right. So I'm going to paint something. Somebody's going to look at it and they are going to have their own view of right. that waterfall based off of my view of that waterfall. Yeah. I call this podcast artifice. I've said this a million times because it's a cool word, but also because of this. So I think like artists are unknowable. Art is kind of unknowable. And there's like, because of that, because of that mystery and that magic and that kind of like, you know, esoteric, whatever, like there is inherently kind of like misunderstanding or like multifaceted or like kind of this layered thing. Like if someone looks at your work they maybe will get a glimpse of you. They're not going to get you. And then like, yeah, this kind of like this two person thing. Like I love to talk about like the relationship between like the artist and the art, the art and the audience, and then like the audience and the artist. Like there's all of these kinds right. of like little touch points in there um, that like, you know, I don't know, have some kind of an amalgamation that's cool, but like, no one point is like perfectly true. You know, mm -hmm. there's like this, there's like this kind of like untouchable, like artifice, not in like a negative way. Like it's artificial, but just like, there's like a, I don't know. Do you think about like, what do you, what do you think? I mean, is I think that's part of like the up anything? separation between yeah. individuals. You know, I feel like we are like just these kind of islands floating around bumping into each other occasionally forming relationships but really i feel like we are alone for the most part yeah and we could yell at each other from across the island you know but my, my new album is about this really yeah <laughs> yeah it's called the hallowed wide because it's like oh, this okay. thing right but it's like this sacred distance and like you know my kind of like thesis at the very end of the album is like you can never really know. You can never really trust anybody. You can never really understand anybody. It doesn't matter how well you know anybody. And like, that's like, that's the beautiful thing. And mm -hmm. like, we, we cling on to each other anyway. 
which yeah. feels like feels like really beautiful to me. Yeah, I'm like I'm That's super good. into those ideas as yeah. well. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so, how did you go from? I want to know, like, I want to know how you like became an, a visual artist instead of a rock star. Um, I was about 24. Uh, depression. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like I've I've been I've been working construction for the last 15 years. Like that's always been some sort of job that I've had. And Since I, like right after high school. Right after high school, okay. I started framing houses. Um, wow. But at this time of my life, I was welding, and cool. I got an injury. And I couldn't work for like nine months. It was like a severe form of like tendonitis, I oh. guess. Ten- tendonitis? Yeah. Tendonitis. 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 Yeah. tendonitis. <laughs> uh, Perfect. Beautiful. Radio <laughs> quality. I couldn't I couldn't wrap my arm around the guitar. Oh wow. Anymore. Like wow. it, it was just too painful to do that. Oh, um God. that's like grief. Yeah. It's like a loss. It was it was like some pretty severe depression there was other things going on in my life but I mean at that point it was like okay like I have my friends they're making better music like I hate my music which was an awful feeling for me like this doesn't feel right like I feel like an imposter like I can't listen to my own music so like there was already things like adding up it's just Mm. like I don't know if this is it for me and I it was like hard to let go interesting but that's really like introspective yeah like I couldn't it's like deep, it's kind of like deep stuff for someone in their early 20s. Yeah. I was, you knew that I your think, own music was like not doing it for you. I think, once I, I think once I started realizing that I liked my visual art was when I realized like, wait a minute, I actually, this music is trash. You love music. It's just like the music is the input and the visual art is like an output. Yeah. I feel like that the opposite way. Like, like the music I was making <clears throat> is what I hated. I couldn't listen to that. So that's, I think I feel that the opposite way. Like I, I don't need to listen to that much music. Like I feel like I listen to music as like a, like research. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm understanding like how other people are doing things. Like it's, it's research about like craft and sometimes like, you know, other deeper things. But I think more so like the, the mediums that like inspire me are like writing, film, visual art, um, yeah, but I don't really make those things. That's I, how it is. I, like, I, I did those watercolors. How beautiful. <laughs> Very silly. <laughs> I need to do one for the middle, but nice. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just... the same that like, like, I, like I don't get inspired by paintings. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Not really. It's so interesting. Yeah. I feel like I'm like inspired by creativity, but like music is the medium that I know. I know how to like assimilate things into. Mm-hmm. So you started doing more visual art or like the same amount or like yeah, what I happened? Yeah, I mean, drawing and painting didn't hurt my arm. Like I didn't work for about nine oh. months just because I could barely move my arm. But drawing and, and like I was, it's, I was in the state of depression and like angry. Yeah. Like I think that was when I really understood the anger that Rage was talking about mm. when I was 14. I was very upset at like the state of the world. Yeah. And, um, any things in particular that were like just existing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, at uh, anything in particular, no, just, just to know how unfair the world is. Injustice, to people, like, injustice, you know, it's, yeah. it was all of that. 
and I was so depressed about it. Like at, at this time, like I was, I had some experiences and I felt like I was building my life back up. Like it literally felt like puzzle pieces. Wow. Like my world got broken. Now I'm incredibly depressed. I can't play the guitar, the thing that used to calm me down. And so it, it felt like there was puzzle pieces and yeah. like I was seeing the world for the first time. Wow. I knew this was all there, you know, but I think I was just a little bit more complicit about it, even though mm. I still like got inspired by those feelings. Sure. But like this anger was just too much, like this anger and depression. So um, that's when I really started painting. That's when I realized like I realized what art and music was doing for me. Yeah. Personally, like on, like on a personal level, going through all that. And I realized it could change people. Yeah. Because it was changing me. Wow. And so I think it was 24 was Sorry, when I... Have like, I have allergies. Are you dealing good. with that too? I'm about to. I know I am. <laughs> it's like, um, I just get these like little tickles, oh, you know, yeah. like a breathe in, like a little... Something. My eyes are watering, but I'm not crying. (laughs) I just have allergies. I'm making you cry, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) Really, this is really moving. (coughs) Go ahead, though, please. You're talking about how your art was was changing something in you. I was pissed. I was. I was pissed. I was angry. I had a lot of anger issues at that moment because I thought the world was just this ugly, ugly thing, and I never asked to be a part of it. But here I am. Yeah. People are getting hurt. There's wars going on. And I really thought that like art could save the world. And Do you I still thought, think that? Not as intensely. Yeah. Why? Now I'm crying for real. Um I think at that time it it was what saved me. Yeah. And so I kinda needed I think people need beliefs at certain times in their life. And like that was Yeah. I I, I think I also because painting was so, so intense for me. Why? Like those first few years, like every brush stroke, like it felt like lightning. Yeah. I'm like, this work that I'm doing is so important. And it wasn't like based like on ego because yeah. I would have panic oh attacks. Gosh. Like I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be like touching yeah. art. Wow. Like I'm a dirty person. Like I, I should not be touching this pure thing. So I would have like panic attacks while I was painting, just like, bro, what power are you trying to wield? Like, you can't handle this type of power. I really, I really feel this. Like, I feel this way about my voice sometimes. Like, I, I'll get feeling like so moved by it, but then I'm also like, I don't know anything. I, I understand that feeling. Yeah. But yeah, it is like just undeniable though. Like, it's just, it's too powerful of a thing. I think I, I think I still like. I know I'll get like so high minded about art because like it does that for me. Like it, it is that thing for me. And I know it's that for a lot of people. I, I, I feel sometimes like I'm being um like so gross, just like uh getting so obsessed with art and like how cool art is. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I can feel it being like tiresome sometimes, Yeah, but I just feel like I have no other choice but to lean in. Cause it's just like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it can, maybe it can heal the world like or something. Yeah. I, I mean, know. like I kind of, something. I kind of intentionally stepped away from it being so intense. Yeah. Like for my own mental health, because yeah. it was, I noticed like, like, like this is like, I could fall so, so, so far into this. Yeah. Like I could, I could go to a mountain and just paint 
Wow. But I mean, like, I also wanted to live a life still. What was it like about like this, like this power, like, you know, like, was it about anything? Like, what did it feel like? It felt like magic. And it still, it still feels like magic, you know, but like in those early, like 24, like was when I was, when this all happened, that was just the most intense feeling. Like it was this beautiful, beautiful, euphoric place. And I felt like I was doing the world's most important work. Not like my, I didn't have any like ego about like my particular paintings, but it was like, I am taking, like I am practicing something very, very sacred. Totally. And so, so Tapping into like something that's really essential. Like I have to do this right. And so at Mm. those early days, it was very intuitive. There was a lot of unlearning. I did a lot of unlearning of like, why did I spend so many years trying to like get proportions right? Right. Like that, there's no power in that. Like there's a technical skill and it can be beautiful. But like for me, like there wasn't, there wasn't much poetics to it. And I've seen artists that like paint like that and there are poetics and they are powerful pieces. But for me, I didn't feel any, anything coming from it. What does like poetics mean to you? (sighs) Something that transcends. Yeah. Something that. You can't put words to. Do you feel like there are any like purposes of that? Like, like I think sometimes one purpose is like to understand another person, like to communicate something like uncommunicable. Maybe like another is like, you know, some kind of like just beauty, like that isn't like attached to any, like, do you think about it like that? Or do you feel like it's like, yeah, I think there's decorative pieces. I think there's, pieces that are designed to please and to look good on walls and they do um i'm attracted to the poetic side of it because i think it asks questions yeah you know rather than somebody's like you know i've had to write artist statements in my life and i hate it yeah i'm like i don't that's why i'm painting sometimes i ask artists if they like writing about their work and i didn't need to ask you that yeah (laughs) yeah but I it's, think the, the poetics for me, you know, there's so much space in between the words that it allows the reader or the viewer to make their own piece out of it. Right. You know? Right. Instead, I mean, because I could look at a painting and the artist will say, this painting is about a car driving on a blue road. Yeah. And like that artist will tell me this and they might say, that's it. Yeah. And me... Like one part of me would be like, why did you just tell me what this painting is about? Like, why did you tell me what you're thinking what this painting is about? Mm. And also you told me there's honestly the idea of a car on a blue road makes me feel excited. Yeah. And that that does sound poetic (laughs) to me. Maybe that was a bad example. But, but, you know, like somebody making a painting with no questions drives me crazy. Mm. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree. Like give me room to look at it. Yeah. Like, like you are, like you are so in this painting that I know where it's coming from. Like if I, if I see too much of myself in my work, that's usually when I scrape mm. the piece. Cause that's, that's like, that's how I felt with my music. I like see. I saw myself too much in it. I felt like there was too much ego. Mm. Um, but I love, I like, I'm happy to say that I love my work. Not all pieces are that great, but it's just about finishing them. Um, and I don't. Because I like to be, I, I, I've set up my process where a lot of surprises happen. 
Yeah. And so I want that? to feel like the work is being created. Yeah, like the muse is. And I'm just kind of you. I'm just kind of <clears throat> guiding it. Yeah. I love this idea of like don't don't show me something that doesn't have questions. Like I feel like that's one thing that like is really kind of upsetting about like, you know, music, especially popular music these days. Like it's so like on the nose, like a, a lot of it. Um, you know, and of course there's great music happening, but the music industry is just going through something right now, I think. Mm-hmm. But like we see popular media, like in film and, and especially I think in TV shows that asks questions that has like room and I think it's just like, it's really uncommon in popular music nowadays. Everything just seems like, well, this is music for this. Like, this is music for partying. This mm-hmm. is music for anger. And there's there's just like no nuance in it, which I find like hor- horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know that I mind if like the work has a lot of the artist in it because I... Cause then I'm just like, yeah, tell me who you are. Well, that's what I, and that's something like a lot of people tell me, like, I didn't really think much about your work until I got to know you, but now Mm. I like it. Interesting. So I think I am in there. Uh, I think maybe there's just certain parts of me that I don't want to see in there, you know? Sure. Sure. How did you start using like construction materials in your work? Like when did that, when did you start doing that? Can I go pee real fast? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, what were we talking about? Uh, oh, I was asking about the construction materials. materials. Yeah. So like I said before, I've started working construction like right out of high school, basically. Okay. Um, and that was the work that I just ended up in for up until two years ago. I finally kind of quit working just to paint. Um wow. Framing, framing houses, uh, welding, working in a glass making company, wow. uh, just like general remodeling, like a lot of different, different construction jobs. But I think the work, the work ended up in my material. Like once I started doing drywall work, mm-hmm. it's just like, like with the drywall mud, it was just kind of like, I can sculpt with this. Like yeah. I've always wanted to sculpt. Interesting. Like, Since you were a little kid with uh, sticks. Yeah. Uh-huh. <clears throat> exactly. I, so I think that was, I didn't know, like, cause I'm self-taught. I never went to art school, so I didn't know how to sculpt. Mm. I didn't know what type of material, what type of plaster I needed to use. I, I got mm. into an artist called Manuel Neri, who it looked like he was, I don't know what he's using, but it looked to me, it looked like drywall mud. Mm. And so I started sculpting with that um, this last year. Well, I think even before that, I've been working on drop cloths. Uh, wow. Just because I like what happens to them. Like when they're at a job site for so long, all this junk, all this paint, oil, whatever it is, you know, to protect a floor, like an expensive floor, we have this piece of canvas over it and it just accumulates every layer this, of like, like history yeah you know and it it, it <clears throat> i i like using drop cloth because it a lot of it is out of my control yeah. like i hate feeling like i'm in control like in a painting so you take the drop cloth from the site and then paint on it mm-hmm. cool yeah yeah so i typically like those I, I typically don't prime those like i do like i call them drawings i'm drawing with a brush like with it's like one 
drawing line. Yeah, like, you yeah. know. So, so a lot of like that draw cloth is is showing, and I think that's something that I've always strived for in my work is looking like it's been labored on. Yeah, you know, like the texture that I build up, like with the oil paint. I I, I don't like a painting if I get it done in the first pass. Right. You know, I, I don't like how smooth the canvas is. Mm. And so like most of my paintings have about four paintings underneath the finished painting. Cool. Because I like how I like building up that texture. Mm. Unfortunately, sometimes I do finish a painting the first time. Yeah, and those aren't and your I favorites. And I have to live with it. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Um, do you ever feel artful about like the craft? Like building houses, welding, making glass, like does, does any of that stuff ever like trigger any of that same like art stuff? Sometimes during demo, Mm -hmm. like I, like the last four years before I quit working, I was doing a lot of demo or remodeling. And like when we have to break down a wall, sometimes there's like really beautiful things that are happening. Like once you take a sledgehammer to a wall a certain Mm -hmm. amount of times, um, I don't feel that artful about it. I mean, like I, I separate like, you know, like a craft and art. Yeah. How do how you know? Like I mean, if it's if it's designed to be a chair, then it's a chair. But if somebody designs a chair to be art, then it's art. If it's a sculpture, then if if it's a sculpture that you sit on, then it's a sculpture. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's where I kind of. Well, I was wondering about you, like, cause I was thinking, you know, yesterday and this morning, um, like I, I work in music like full time. Like I, I've, I've made every dollar like in music for 12, 13 years. Um, but like, you know, a lot of those dollars are teaching, which isn't like art per se. And a lot of those dollars are wedding band, which is an art per se. But I, I like that. Like my, my like day job is kind of like adjacent. Like I'm working on similar skills. Like it keeps me in shape. I think like teaching is, it flexes like really Mm -hmm. creative muscles that like give me ideas and give me inspiration. And I was curious whether you felt like that about construction work. It sounds like you don't. Not really. Yeah. Um, it, it, like right now I'm doing like framing, like picture framing for people, like as a side hustle, yeah. you know, I'm making like most of the money from painting, like actual sales. And I figured I'd start picture framing like occasionally cool. for random artists. So like that is like better, adjacent to Better it. you doing that than like. Sometimes it know, drives me crazy because I do it in my studio. Yeah. And like. Sometimes I just feel like there's three other artists in my studio. And sure. I'm just like, just get the hell out. I totally know that feeling. Like, I feel that way as well. Like, in the same room I'm riding in, I'm, like, teaching children in, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I sometimes feel like there's this kind of, like, residual energy of, like, well, I'm learning, like, some shitty country song to sing at someone's, like, first dance with their new spouse, and then I'm trying to, like, create something. But I don't know. I feel like I've kind of, like, I feel like for me it's kind of become something that, like, I just embrace <laughs> like yeah. it's become like, well, this is life. Like these are people and like, these are the people who like I bump into. And yeah, I mean the, the construction, <clears throat> like the art doesn't bleed into the construction, but the construction definitely bleeds into the art. Oh, that's what I meant. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
That's totally what I was like trying Definitely. to ask. Yeah. I don't I don't feel like an artist <laughs> yeah. when I'm doing drywall no, no, work. No. no. <laughs> I didn't mean that. I meant like does like is it The construction definitely is it bleeds into it. I yeah. mean the people I meet, their stories. Sure. You know, I mean it's just this like I've kind of been scared to quit working. Yeah. You know, I feel fortunate. I I am still working, but I mean like I'm like, am I going to get disconnected yeah. from people if I stop seeing them all the time? Right. Whether they're like crazy macho people that drive me crazy because like right. in the construction world, there's so many of I them. I mean, I work with brides. Right. So yeah. I feel ya. <laughs> like but it's I mean, a different like, yeah. kind of a thing, but like, Like yeah. the stories that all of them have had. <laughs> right. Like people that I don't think I would ever imagine getting along with, like mm. working with them for eight hours a day. It's like. It's, it's, yeah, suddenly, there's been like some beautiful moments. Like, like you, you just want jet skis. You want your wife to be the hottest thing in the world. Like we do not like, how are we getting along mm-hmm. right now with all the differences that we have? But like some of those people have been like my favorite yeah, people. Somehow that's like if some, at one point that's like your brother. Yeah. I mean, I, and I don't like, I, I prefer, I prefer <laughs> most of the time those type of people over artists just because yeah. like artists, like I know that ego, mm. like. It's fun talking to people occasionally, but yeah. for the most part, like, I, artists are weird. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I weird. Love it. They, they got, they need a therapist. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. We all but need like, a therapist. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. There's like, I, I'm interested in that too. Like these like sliding doors things, like, you know, who are all these people that are just like in our world? Like, what mm. are they about? I, I mean, I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. I mean, so, so a lot of my work has focused like on workers so when you started putting um when you started using construction materials in your work was that like philosophical or like practical or kind of both both i mean it was either stolen material from job Mm -hmm. sites um or just extra material from job sites you know and i think it was i think the the first exhibit that i did with like that material was at umoka like I, i was a resident there for a year and i that work was the show was called gas station honeydew and like the idea was my sister teaches on the west side of salt lake and she's telling me about how most of her students uh eat dinner from gas stations Uh because both of their parents are working right you know and like the idea like i thought of the phrase gas station honeydew years ago but it's beautiful it made me think about like more about working class, like why these kids' parents can't cook them dinner because they both have jobs. And like, I know they want to cook them dinner, but because like, this is like my family, like this is my dad's family. Like, um, so yeah, a lot of that show was based on like working, working class people. The artist statement was pretty angry, I think. I I don't remember exactly, but it was like pretty snarky. I love this idea that you had in your bio of like, and you kind of said it a, a minute ago, but like you want your work to feel labored over. Like it's for like the tired or something like that. Yeah. Like, do you like for tired working talk people. Talk about that. Uh, I think that's like my anti, <clears throat> anti-academic standpoint. Sure. Tell me everything. Um, I have no problem with academics. I think I did for a while just because I felt like they were giving me problems. 
Yeah, as they do. <laughs> I mean, I get that. Like, I'm a I'm a college professor. Like, I teach at UVU, uh-huh. but I I know th- I know what you're talking about. I like, mean, yeah, some of the best conversations I've had have been with college professors, you know. But I think there is a general sense that you're not smart enough for art. You know, I yeah. want I want to make art that that my grandparents can come home to from the restaurant and enjoy seeing it. Yeah. Art that says you don't have to know the hundreds of years of art history to get this. Because right. I mean I think there's this idea that like in the contemporary art world that we are only having a conversation with each other. If you don't know the history, then get out. It's definitely like you that know? in jazz too. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I don't want to be a part of that conversation. Yeah. Like at all. Yeah. I want to be a part of the conversation of like the people that are coming home tired. Right. I, I don't want my art to pose those ridiculous questions. Like I want them to, po- I want it to pose questions. Yeah. But like we live like in a capitalist state and everyone's tired. Everyone's addicted to energy drinks. I drink 45 coffees a day. Probably. <laughs> my anxiety's fine, <laughs> you know, but I think that was where it came from. Think like partly thinking about yeah. my grandparents, partly thinking about how tired I always was like after 10 hour days, like carrying lumber, like you have no energy. Enjoying art is a privilege. Yeah. You know, like researching art is a privilege and like for how important I think it is. I think it's, I'm very angry that it's not that accessible. Yeah. 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 Music is accessible. Music is accessible. I know. And I'm so jealous about it too. Oh, well I'll just tell you though, like, it's a double edge. Like I'm sure yeah. the music industry is like, I mean, it's it being accessible means like musicians don't get paid. Right. Like that's what it means. <laughs> yeah. So like, I don't know. And then in that case, like may, being a musician becomes like privileged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, if you can't make money doing it, cause it, the expectation in society is that it's free. Then like the only people who can do it are people who like, really know how to hustle or people who have like access to resources that other people don't have. So I don't know. <laughs> it's like, it's still like even music is accessible, but it's there's capitalism is still like has its dirty hand in there. I know. Yeah. That's hard. I mean, that yeah. I mean, I did, I did a series with like a Mestizo um, Institute of Culture and Art a few years ago. Like this is right when the pandemic started uh it was called worked and like the idea it came from work because like we're at the time like i don't know if did you guys feel the earthquake out here oh yeah so like that week you know i feel like that was when the pandemic got started yeah and the earthquake got started everything shut down and like the crew that i was on were working in this person's house and we're like hey we might stay home for two weeks yeah. Like make sure our families are safe. You Can know? you imagine like, when we thought it was going to be two weeks? <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then we were so like weirded it's out by now. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean like this homeowner at the time, like we were doing like a bathroom and he's like, well, what bathroom am I supposed to use? And like me, I'm like, like punk ass, you got three other bathrooms. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> like you want us to stay here? Like we probably would have been fine. Also, we just wanted to take two weeks off like the rest of the country. You yeah. know, yeah, and I mean, so like that. We were scary. I mean, it was yeah, really it scary. was scary. Like that we didn't earthquake know. was like too much. The earthquake, the pen, like 
washing all of the groceries that we got home. It was you know? so like, scary. It was so it intense. It was a weird time for everyone. Yeah. And like that guy in that comment kind of set up like more anger for me. Yeah. But it was later that year that I did this series called Worked, um, basically about, I, I did sculptures and I planted them all over the city, like in different spots, like of workers. They were all wearing my work clothes, so they probably just looked like me. But like the idea was like, who's an essential worker, like essential workers versus non-essential workers. Oh, yeah. Like Tell this guy everything. thought he needed a bathroom done, even though he had three other bathrooms. And I'm like, he's viewing us as essential workers. Like, yeah. I, I don't feel like an essential worker. And then I'd, I'd, all across the city, I'd see people working on new apartment complexes. Yeah. Like, that's not essential. Yeah. Like, all these people are at risk because we thought it was going to be, I mean, it was scary, you know, but, like, we didn't know how scary it was right. going to be. And so seeing all these workers that I didn't think were essential, you know, for some developer that wants to start leasing out his property, mm. that kind of set me off and so like that's another way that like the construction work and that was all done with materials from job sites and my work clothes and drywall plaster again so wow. do you ever feel like identity weirdness between like being someone who like you know has these kinds of feelings about like capitalism and the working class and like being like an artist like even if your art is like has those values like society also like labels art in kind of like a elitist way yeah like does that ever bother you i think it would have more if i didn't have kids you have kids i got two babies yeah oh my god (laughs) (laughs) so i mean like right now it's like i want to sell paintings so that i can stay home with my kids yeah and spend time with them um but yes there is plenty of weird crisis moments for me I have kind of come to accept it as like, well, I'm either going to be remodeling a bathroom for this person or that person's going to buy my painting. Yeah. Weird. One of those ways I'm going to be home and I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing what I love to do. Right. Um, I think that's another episode talking about art world and money. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I used to like want to talk more about money with my guests and then it just like always felt kind of weird. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, totally like that's another like capitalism thing though. Like we feel so like pure about these things that we're doing, but then it's like, yeah, art and money. It's backwards. It's really weird. I, I don't know how to, yeah. Cause like, yeah, I, I, also I, don't know. I talk with like Jesus on my mind, you know, like some, <laughs> brown bearded radical carpenter but like when it comes down to it it's just like i need to pay mortgage too like i do view art as like one of the most important things in this world yeah and i'm sorry that i have to sell it but i do need to eat yeah and i haven't i don't know how to navigate that it's tricky emotionally like i the way that i think about this stuff and like it's ever evolving and like i do stay up at night like wrestling with some of these things like you know pretty frequently but I feel like teaching art is pretty like karmically good (laughs) like yeah I feel like especially you know I'm teaching like little girls to like believe in their 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 voices like to make noise to like take up space um I used to teach at BYU and you know so many of my students were gay in like the performing arts building Mm -hmm. you know I and I feel pretty like um 
moral about that. <laughs> like, um, I also think like, even with like the wedding band, like <clears throat> my job in that scenario is to like, man, like to summon joy out of like thin air yeah, and like fill the room up with joy for like these people, which also like that can be radical. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's a wedding band, but it's also, and then I also really try to like buy and and hire artists like as much as I can. Like I try to use like I try to take like as much of the money that I earn in art as possible and like give it to other give it to artists. Yeah. But yeah, I mean Yeah, there's always kind of this thought about like like I feel like I'll get really touchy about like, you know, people like members of the general public being like, "Well, but so are you like a real artist or do you like just teach?" Or like, are you like a real artist or do you just like do this wedding band thing? And that stuff will like kind of get me like a little icky. That's, there's weird twisted ideas about artists. So many. Like, are you going to tra- call a lousy plumber not a plumber? Like versus the, like if, if if there's a plumber doing something for eight hours a day, like he's a plumber. Yeah. He's not an electrician. So like I make like intense art too. It's just available for free. Because yeah. that's what the music industry is doing right now. And also, like, the art that I make is, like, I don't know. It's not for everybody. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. So it's, like, but like I have three albums. You know, that's something. Like, mm-hmm. I do this podcast. That's, like, I have plenty of, like, creative output. But it's, like, yeah. I mean, I think those things. Those People things get are, it twisted. People get the idea of messy. an artist, like, really twisted and weird and like you're not an artist until you're selling work or something. Right. But then also if you sell too much work, you're also not really an artist. Yeah. It's like, there's like, well, I also think like sometimes I think, especially maybe for musicians, but maybe for visual artists too, it's like people want you to be a certain amount of a hot mess. Like they won't, they won't buy it unless you're like, you're not going to therapy. You're like not taking mm-hmm. care of your depression. You're like marriage is a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> like those are like the it's signifiers. Not, it's it's of not like, good for artists. <laughs> no, like, like these no. ideas that people have. No, you it's know? very bad. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Okay. Well, I think we've like kind of done it, but I want to end on like something like less dark, maybe not possible. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, maybe just like tell me what you're working on now. Like, what are you thinking about Flowers. now? Great. Why? Because they're dark. Tell me everything. <laughs> tell me everything. It's funny. Something <laughs> less dark. What am I working on? I mean, it is flowers, but they are like, flowers. I've been uh, collaborating with my florist friend at uh, Ritual and Bloom. She's been putting these beautiful bouquets together for me. Wow. Um. And I've been painting flowers. I've had conversations with another painter friend for years about how important it is to paint flowers. Because like he's like me. He's a grump. He's angry at everything. And he is serious about painting, you know. Um, but we've talked about like what type of power a painting of flowers can have. Yeah. Like at a destructive level. Tell me, you know, like we're talking about, we've always had these conversations about like, I want to draw a lily, but I want to draw a lily so destructively that it feels like a knife, like going into your chest. That's his words. Yeah. I try to paint flowers 
that feels like a gunshot going off in your neighborhood. Because there's like a lot of gunshots in my neighborhood right now. And I want that. I want that. It's part of that that bare bones feeling that we talked about earlier. <clears throat> like something so beautiful, but right, like so, so heavy as well, you know. The conversation I'm having with my friend Kat, the florist, like she's bringing up death doulas a lot. You know, because like I did a few bouquets, they all have black backgrounds and I'm trying to like apply the paint. They're big paintings. They're like six feet by five feet. Wow. I'm trying to apply the paint like in a non-pleasant way. Okay. You know, I'm trying to. You're not being delicate. I'm not being delicate. I'm I'm trying to make flowers, trying to present something beautiful, like in a very ugly, like application. Are the flowers dark because like their context is like a funeral? Like, or like, why are the flowers dark? That was something that my friend brought up, you know, for me, um, like she was talking about like the context of death doulas using flowers, like in their, in their practice. Um, for me, I don't, I don't know why they, they don't seem dark to me. They're beautiful. Um, but I'm trying to capture like that beauty, like in that darkest sense, you know, like when you're in that deep, 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 dark depression, yeah, everything is hitting you. All the bullshit is just like, like that is that, that weighs so heavy. But then those beautiful moments that just like make you mm. weep, like that's kind of what I'm trying to capture. Like I mean, there's through the lens of like grief or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, I'm trying to wow. be very painterly about them. Um, I feel like I've kind of abandoned the idea of like being painterly for a few years, you know, like moving the Meaning paint. Meaning like technical or? Yeah, but like, like there's more technical sides to it, but also kind of trying to like redefine what it means to be painterly. What is it? What is that word? Painterly like Van Gogh. Okay. okay. Like, you know, like, like thick. I've like, always, I've always used thick paint. Okay. But it's like the way you move the paint, you know. It for gets the, like yeah, in it. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, for the last five years five, seven years, I've used the same type of brushes. I've used like big round brushes. And just like a month ago, I bought a different type of brush. So like, I'm like, it's, I'm going through a lot in the studio right now. I'm really enjoying being painterly again, because like for a while, it's just like large passage of color here, large passages of color here. Yeah. Trust the process. Those like drawings. Yeah. 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 But now it's, it's, changing and i feel like it's partly a rejection to like some of the contemporary stuff going on Mm. you know because i feel like in at least the painting history it's like rejection that becomes popular then that has to be rejected and it's just like this cycle that goes over and over and over again is part of it like subversive because like flowers are so like non-anything sometimes yeah yeah it's part right now I don't want to make a painting with a message. Sure, sure. So, I mean, because I think over the last few years, a lot of, like, people have been getting, like, twisted about, like, what I'm doing. Hmm. You know, like, they've called me, like, a political artist, which I've never have, like, set out to be a political artist. Hmm. Like, that stuff creeps in occasionally. I mean, how could it you not? Know? Like, yeah. it, 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 it shows up. But, and, like, just the idea of art needing a message right like no it doesn't need a message like the message is whatever it's going to be whatever it feels whatever whatever it feels feels like like. there's messages in paintings behind flowers 
you know, but I'm not going to make something so obvious that it has. I mean, because I have made work that so obviously has a message. Yeah. And yeah. I'm fine with that. I'm going to keep doing that, yeah. like, in the years to come. But Sometimes that, like, abstraction is, like, really interesting. Yeah, right now I think it's partly a rejection to, like, the idea of a message. Um, flowers are, like, they're, like, in some ways, like, so neutral. Like, everyone's just like, oh, flowers, but, yeah. like, also flowers. Yeah, like, I want it to carry, like, the same uh, weight as like a painting of like a murdered body that I may have done over the years. I want it to carry that weight, mm. but partly is just like a, like, like this is simply a painting of flowers, like stop and look at it. You know, it's like saying yeah. stop and smell the flowers. Like mm. just look at this painting. Yeah. And I, I, so I'm trying to, my goal is to crush capitalism. Great. With Me too. Paint. I want to do that too. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, it is. It is partly like, uh, you know, I want to. I want it to halt. I want people. Yeah. I want things to stop. Like with these paintings, oh. I think I wanted that with all my work. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Stop. But, think. Reframe. Yeah. Just yeah. like like stop. Like I've always yeah. viewed art as like a stone in a pebble, like a like a stone in a river, and like the water's going around right. it. You know, like good art is going to be that rock. And like time is going to be flowing around it. It's yeah. slowly going to change and tip, chip away. Yeah. And it changes from different angles that you see mm -hmm. it at. But that's that like artifice stuff too. Like the the way that I like to use that word in this context right. of like was was the rock the rock like before water was acting on it for all these years or mm -hmm. like you know I don't know whatever. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. Now I think we've done it. Cool. So I always ask everybody <laughs> at the very end, I ask like two questions, but before that, is there anything else that you feel like you want to say that you feel is like unsaid? Probably okay not. Probably. <laughs> okay. Well, if you think of it, <laughs> let me know. Well, I mean, yeah, we could talk. We could talk for a long time, I think, but no, I feel it's, good. It's my favorite. Yeah. Um, okay. I ask everybody at the end on this day, what's your dream collaboration? It can be as big or as small. You can summon someone from the grave. Who's someone or somewhere that you would like to work with or in? You can use the word collaboration like really flexibly. I know. Like, I mean, honestly, like before I started doing these flower paintings, I didn't think I could collaborate. If this feels like a collaboration to me. Yeah. Um, probably with my kids. Wow. I love that. Not, I mean, before their creativity gets ruined by the world, you know, yeah. like that sweet spot when they're like. How, how old are they eight, again? Uh, four and one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, uh, when they're a little bit older, I'd love to have you back and like talk about what it's like being an artful parent to children. Yeah, I got, yeah, I got plenty to say about that, that already. That, would you want to, I mean, do you want to say anything real quick? It's tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. I mean, especially like working from home. Like the, I built a studio outside of our home, like on the property, and babies walk in and out of the studio. Wow. Like I'm sitting there painting, and babies walk in, and it's wonderful. That's like what it's about for me. Like I don't have kids, but like how can art be like a conduit to like, you know, better relationships, better, like more human connection, mm -hmm. better, um, deeper understanding, empathy. Yeah. That feels like, that feels like the point to me. Okay. And then finally tell everybody where to find your work. Um, Instagram, Andrew dot Alba. Or you can check out modernwestfineart.com. It's the gallery I'm working with. They have a lot of my work up there, like more curated 
my Instagram kind of sometimes I try to keep it a curated site, but sometimes it just turns into a bunch of random stuff. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. I feel that. I feel fine with that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I you just, don't have to look at it. I just so. like kind of recently hired a PR team and sometimes I feel a little bit like, I don't know. I just feel like being a little messier. Yeah. Like, I think something. it's good to see too. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. It's a fun, tricky fine line. Okay. I don't have to look at my Instagram, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> at Andrew.Alba, you said? Andrew.Alba. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, Andrew, it was so lovely to meet you and thanks Thank for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having yeah, me. Absolutely. Thanks for the convo. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.